The sermon title this morning is Don't Be a Fool, which sounds a little too Mr. T for Mother's Day, but <laughs> as we pray for mothers, the, one of the things we learn from the life of Solomon is one of the most important things that we could pray for is wisdom. If you're a mom, doubtless you've prayed for wisdom several times as you've raised your children. And so this series that we're in through Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job, we are walking through the wisdom literature. And so week two of this series, we're talking about how to discern wisdom from folly, how to be a wise person and not be the fool that Mr. T pities. So if you have your Bible this morning, you can open it to Proverbs chapter 9. I'm going to read the, the first paragraph of this chapter and the last paragraph. As Solomon gives us a picture of wisdom embodied versus folly embodied. Proverbs 9.1 reads, Wisdom has built her house. She has set up its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her servants, and she calls from the highest point in the city, let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, come eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. Let's jump down to verse 13. Folly is an unruly woman. She is simple and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by who go straight on their way, let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. This is the word of the Lord. How can this be wrong when it feels so right? Have you ever had someone say that to you? Have you ever thought that to yourself? Why does it seem like all the fun things in life are supposed to be bad? Is God anti-fun? Is that kind of how to navigate the Christian life? Is figure out what, what's the most fun thing to do, the most exciting thing to do, and don't do that. That's wise. Do the boring stuff instead. That's what God wants, is us to be bored. God would never want us to have a good time, right? Sometimes that's what it seems like when we read through the scriptures and we hear about what's wise and what's foolish. It seems like God is a cosmic buzzkill that he's anti-fun, and that's how to live your life. Solomon gives us a picture in Proverbs 9 of two parties that are being thrown. I want you to imagine right now that you're driving home from work, right, or you're walking home from school, whatever you do, and all of a sudden you get a text from a friend that says, call me immediately. I'm like, okay, right, then pick up the phone, you dial them, hey, what's going on? They're like, cancel your plans for Friday night. Okay, why? Hey, remember when we were in college and we used to go crazy every weekend? Yeah? We're doing that this Saturday at my house. <laughs> like, what? We're like 40 now. 
No, dude, seriously, seriously. I got pizza, we got chicken wings, right? I got a buddy who's stealing some kegs from the restaurant he's at. It's going to be great. Bring your own red cup, right? It's going to be a great party. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll think about it. Don't think about it. Come, right? It's like, okay. When you go to pick up your calendar to see if you're doing anything Friday night, and, and it rings again, and it's somebody else, right? Hey, buddy, what's up? Hey, what are you doing Friday night? Oh, I was actually just thinking about that. I was like, well, hey, I'm throwing a party. You should come. I'm like, all right. How many parties are going on this weekend? It's like a Mother's Day extravaganza. What are you doing? He's like, well, man, I was, me and my wife were at the farmer's market last weekend. And there's so much great stuff in season. We grabbed all these vegetables and these herbs, right? And I thought we'd make this amazing dinner party and we're inviting some people who are just good people from different walks of life. We're going to come and share our life experiences, open a bottle of wine, just kind of talk about what God's doing in our midst. It's going to be amazing, right? You should come. It's going to be great. I go, okay. I got a choice to make. Do I go, <laughs> Do I go to Animal House? Right? <laughs> or do I go have a conversation around a table and eat some grass-fed beef or something, you know. <laughs> and which one would you choose? You know, some of you feel like it's a trick question, right? Like, I would choose the fun one. Is that bad, right? And you know, some of us, you know, you're picturing who's going to show up at each party. You picture the, the cast of some 80s party movie at, at one party, and you picture your grandma at the other one, right? It's like, oh, that sounds fine. That's nice. You know, we're just going to visit, you know. That's what Solomon draws out in chapter 9 as, as a metaphor of wisdom versus folly, right? This morning, we're not going to talk about partying and what you should do on Friday night. Like we can talk about that personally if you want, but what, what, what Solomon is drawing out is that these two pictures of these two parties, the rager and the dinner party, can give us a metaphor of what is wise versus what is foolish, and though it seems like what Solomon is just saying is there's a fun thing that's dumb and there's a boring thing that's wise, I think what he's trying to draw out is something more complicated than that. That can help us in more than just our weekend plans. Right? How do you know what's wise when you're trying to figure out whether you should step into this business partnership or not? How do you figure out if the decision that you need to make is a foolish one or not? Or you have a decision about what you're going to do this weekend and it doesn't involve partying. How do you know what the wise decision is? Do you just choose the boring choice? Or, or is the way that we can look at a decision, the way that Solomon draws out and say, okay, I can see the elements of wisdom here. And I can see the elements of folly here. And, and I want to make an informed decision. So this morning we're going to walk a little bit through how to navigate decisions in general using this idea of these two parties as a metaphor for wisdom and folly. Solomon says that this woman who's throwing the rager party has been in town for a while. If you jump back at chapter 7, you can do that if your Bibles are still open. Solomon is telling his son a story about this woman who ends up throwing this party on the hill, the stolen water party. Sounds really fun. He tells his son that he pictures this young man who's just mindlessly walking through the streets of town. And it says in verse 10, Then out came a woman to meet him. 
and dressed like a prostitute with crafty intent. She's unruly and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks. She took a hold of him and kissed him. And with a brazen face, she said, Today I fulfilled my vows. I have my food from my fellowship offering at home, so I came out to meet you. I've looked for you and found you. I've covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I perfume my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deeply of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband's not at home. You picked up on that. That's good. <laughs> he has gone on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money and will not be home till full moon. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. I heard someone recently say, Proverbs is sexist. <laughs> and yes, Solomon draws out this picture of folly as this seductive woman, but Proverbs is not sexist, right? The, the, the envision of wisdom in Proverbs is a godly, pure, beautiful woman. Right? Women are both evil and great in the book of Proverbs. And men are both evil and great in the book of Proverbs. And Solomon says, there are men out there, son, who are going to lure you into their den and cause you to do stupid things. Don't go with them. And he says here in, verse, in chapter 7, son, there are women out there who are going to lure you into their bed. Don't go with them and do stupid things, right? Solomon is not trying to make a judgment about a gender. He says both genders can be wise, both genders can be foolish. And what Solomon is saying here about folly and the picture of this woman who throws a party on the hill is that folly is seductive. Folly is seductive. Imagine you've got a business trip that you're trying to consider whether or not you should go on. And there's a lot of good reasons, professionally, to go. You get to spend time with your boss, have some networking FaceTime there. You've got maybe a client that you're going to meet up with and you've been working on the sale with them. Maybe there's a seminar that's going to be really helpful to you. Maybe you're going to be able to take your uh, game up a notch with the learnings that you're going to have at this conference, right? And so there's all these great reasons for you to go. And just one tiny reason in all of that is that you have this coworker of the opposite sex who is beautiful. And whenever you go on business trips, you get to eat dinner alone with her. Right? There's something about that reason that's more like drawing than the other reasons, right? That's the reason that kind of makes your heart beat, it makes you sweat a little bit, right? The other reasons are just like you stick them on your resume, right? And you know that's the bad reason to go on the business trip. But in that illustration, what we get to see is that folly, the bad thing, the wrong thing, is seductive. You know it's a bad decision because you would never tell your wife about this woman you're having dinner with in Toronto tomorrow night, right? Folly, not the woman, right? Folly is seductive. Sometimes as we navigate life, there are things that we want to do for good reasons, and there are things we want to do for bad reasons. And Solomon says, I want you to grow your radar, son, <laughs> of what the bad reasons feel like. I was in Barnes & Noble a, a couple years back and browsing the leadership section. I don't know why we were at Barnes & Noble. My wife and I were at Barnes & Noble and 
I'm kind of looking through the books, and there's this guy sitting there browsing the section with me, and, and he strikes up a conversation. He says, hey, what are you looking for? Are you interested in leadership? I'm like, how'd you know? Right? <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, my wife and I are out on a date, and we were just talking about leadership and mentoring on the way here, and so I thought, you know what, let's browse through and see what they've got, uh, maybe something new. He's like, oh, man, I'm like that too. Like, I love leadership. I'm like, cool, man. You know, he's like, yeah, I just joined this great mentoring group. It's all of these amazing men who have been so successful in life, and they've just chosen out of the kindness of their hearts to get together with young guys like me and just train us up in all of their leadership skills. It's been unbelievable. Like, just through these relationships, I've made tons of money. I've done tons of networking, right? He's like, you should join us. <laughs> right? And there was this little voice in my head like, who is this guy? Right? <laughs> like, who, who invites some random guy to a mentoring meeting? Right? But then there was this louder voice in my head that was like, oh, you should do that. You could be rich like him. Right? <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, dude. Like, I would totally be down for that. That sounds great. Like, I rarely meet someone as extroverted as you. Right? This is... This can't be a trap at all, right? I'm like, where do you guys meet? He's like, well, hey, let me, uh, he's like, I'll, give me your cell phone number. I'll text you. I'm like, great, man, great, right? So the next couple of days, I'm like watching my phone. Like, when is my ship going to come in, right? This is coming together. And, and I get a text, and he's like, hey, would you be willing to meet up with me tomorrow night at 6 p.m. in Roseville at Starbucks? I'm like, geez, man, like that's super far away, right? right? And I didn't think. This guy's trying to draw me out real far away so that I feel like I've invested all this time in this relationship. Right? I just thought, well, he must live in Roseville, right? And so, like, of course, I'll be there, right? I cancel all my stuff. I tell my wife I'm not going to be home for dinner. I've got this great opportunity, right? And I get in my car, and I drive like an hour and a half to Roseville, <laughs> go to the Starbucks, right? And I'm expecting, like, Benjamin Franklin sitting there, right, and <laughs> Charles Schwab, right? But instead, it's just, like, this guy, and he's, like, sitting at a table waiting for me. And I'm like, hey, man, where's the... What's, what's next? He's like, oh, man, I can't wait to share with you all the things that I've learned. I'm like, just you? Right? Like, because you promised, like, that, like, Bill Gates would be here. Right? <laughs> He's like, listen, I don't have time to talk tonight, but read this book. It'll change your life, right? And he hands me this, like, pyramid scheme, multi-level marketing book, right? <laughs> I'm like, oh, man. I just got got, Right? I drove home, and I'm all irritated, right? And he calls me up the next week. Hey, man, are we going to meet again? I'm like, no. Right? I'm like, this is like a multi-level marketing thing. He's like, oh, passive income is the wave of the future. I'm like, no, it's not, man. He's like, well, then you owe me money for that book. Like, I mailed it to him. And in that moment when I met this guy, I had a distinct example of what Solomon's trying to teach his son which is that folly is seductive, right? It's not like wisdom wasn't there in that conversation with him, right? Like, I had the voice in my head saying, this is a scam, this is a scam, this is a scam. And I called one of my buddies before I went out to Roseville. I said, hey, man, I met this guy at Barnes & Noble, and my buddy said, it's a multi-level marketing scheme, man. It's a scam, don't go. I'm like, no, but it might be legit. He's like, it's not legit. Don't waste your time, right? I'm like, this, you just don't know a great opportunity when you see it, right? In our lives, there are moments when folly lures. And even though everything in your brain tells you this is a dumb idea, 
It's like your heart. We talked about this last week, right? Your heart is saying, oh, but you should give it a try. Listen to the words that Solomon uses to describe this woman who embodies folly in chapter 7. She comes out to meet him. She lurks. Who lurks, right? She lurks. She took hold of him. She kisses him. She leads him. She seduces him with her smooth talk. If we are to become men and women who make wise choices in this world, one of the biggest things Solomon's trying to teach his son is you need to understand the seductive, drawing, murderous voice of folly that tries to lead you astray. Grow a radar for that. Grow a radar for that so when you're in Barnes & Noble, you don't waste your evening. Grow a radar for that so they don't end up going on a business trip and doing something you'll regret forever. Grow a radar for that so you don't get into a financial dealing with someone who's just trying to take your money and go. You grow a radar for that so you don't have stuff coming out of your mouth you can never take back. You grow a radar for that so you don't end up hanging out with friends doing dumb things and now you're in jail because you were there, right? Grow a radar for the smooth-talking, seductive voice of folly that tries to lead us astray. It's not a woman. It's this voice that just grabs onto our hearts and tries to get us to do what is wrong. In a sense, I really wouldn't want to live in that city that Solomon's talking about. (laughs) Where this woman's sneaking around every corner and trying to draw a young man into her room with her, right? But the picture that Solomon gives us isn't as bleak as it seems, right? It's not just a city filled, it's not like Gotham, right? Where there's just evil at every corner, right? There's wisdom in that city too. And I want us to see what wisdom does as opposed to what folly does. This is the beginning of chapter 8. In that same city, he says, does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? At the highest point along the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Before the gate leading into the city at the entrance, she cries aloud. We've got a city here where folly is lurking at every corner trying to draw men into her bed. And a city where wisdom is standing at the gate saying, listen to me, I will give you life. Listen to me, I will give you life. It's kind of like that picture that Matt gave us of, of that young woman who's in the dorm room in the hallway in college preaching the gospel to all these people who are just walking by and you're wondering who will hear the words of life and be transformed forever. And Solomon says, in this city, if you listen, wisdom is there, but it's not going to grab you by the shirt collar and drag you into its room. (laughs) Wisdom has ethics. Wisdom is plain and simple. Wisdom calls out and brings life. Folly seduces and draws to death. Calls out. Raises her voice. Takes her stand. Cries aloud. So now we've got to figure out what we're going to do on Friday night. Really, in every decision that we have to make, there's the voice of wisdom. My buddy saying, it's a scam, don't go. My head saying, this sounds like a scam, don't go. And there's the voice of folly. But you might get rich if you go. 
and we do need to be people who grow our radar for folly, but we also need to be people who grow our radar for wisdom. You know, last week we talked, if you missed it, you can jump online and listen to it. We, we talked about becoming people who are gathering wisdom everywhere. Just reading the scriptures and gleaning the, the wisdom from there. Talking to our elders, our parents, and gleaning wisdom from there. Looking out in the world and finding wise counsel everywhere we can. But the hard thing is, some things people tell us to do are stupid. You might get bad advice. You might get sucked into a meeting in Roseville. So I think one of the reasons that Solomon brings up this illustration is to say, if you want to know the difference between wisdom and folly, wisdom calls out with common sense and purity. Folly tries to seduce and play on your emotions, your lusts, and your desires. Uh, we have that picture of like the used car salesman. Not ever. I've got friends who are used car salesmen, and they're great people, right? But we get this picture of the used car salesman, this person who's just like, you open the door in the lot, and he's like, already there, hello. <laughs> Can I interest you in a Mercedes, right? Like, no, I don't need anything that extravagant. It's like, okay, I'll just give you a Camry. Here it is. You're like, how did I buy a Camry so quick, right? It's like sneaky, right? Or really just practically, if anyone wants to sell you something, and they're offering a product that's actually good for you at a good price, they're not going to try to trick you into getting it, right? They're just going to say, here's what I got. You want it? And you're like, well, I don't know. They're like, okay, well, this is what it's worth. But there's something about wisdom that's just plain and simple, right? There's something about folly that sounds like, ooh, this is, I better take advantage of this before someone else does, right? Marketing, it's folly. <laughs> you better eat these french fries. They'll make you feel great. Like, oh, I do want to feel great like I just ate at McDonald's, right? But you know afterwards, it's death, right? Why did I eat the french fries? I just feel like they sucked me in. I can smell it. Right? Folly lures. Wisdom calls out plainly, right? You never see a billboard. Now you do these days, thankfully. You rarely see a billboard that says, eat a salad, it's good for you, right? And they just like roll our eyes. Like, oh, don't tell me what's good for me, right? We have radars that push back from wise counsel and we get drawn into folly. And yet it's easy when we think about God's role in all this to think, like we said at the beginning, that God is this cosmic buzzkill who exists to make us sad and eat salads instead of McDonald's all day, right? <laughs> that God is displeased when you go to the kegger because he doesn't want you to have any fun. He wants you to go to that boring dinner party and talk about boring things with boring people, right? You might even push back, you know what, this is my time in my life, I'm going to have fun right now, and I'll be wise later. I'm going to have fun now, right? What's the harm? It's, I get it, God wants us to not enjoy the life that he's given us on this planet. <laughs> and someday I'll live the boring Christian life, right? But now, now it's time for me, right? Now it's time for fun, now it's time to do what I want to do. It seems like, even when we think about these two party invitations on Friday night, that there is one that's the boring choice and one is the fun choice, right? That's why we picture grandma at the boring party. Unless your grandma's a party animal, right? But mine was not. <laughs> I really, be, be, before we leave that illustration and close up today, I, I want to ask, why does grandma go to the dinner party, right? Why does grandma not go to the kegger? It's not her scene. She doesn't know the lyrics to the songs anymore. What? Why isn't she there? 
Now, this is a reality check for those of you who are like in your 20s. Right now that I'm old in my 30s, I'm starting to understand some of these things. And, and I get to hear people talk about why they don't party anymore. And I was never a partier, but I'm starting to realize what it feels like to not be in my 20s anymore, just in terms of like eating french fries and things. And so here's the wisdom for you who are in high school and college and in your 20s. When you're 40, I've heard. I'm not there yet. I've heard. It's not fun to go to the kegger, not because keggers aren't fun anymore, but because you feel miserable the next day. (laughs) You stay up all night drinking, and you try to get out of bed the next morning, and you can't. And let's be real, I'm not just talking about keggers, right? You eat french fries for dinner, and you're up at 2 a.m., and 3 a.m., and 4 a.m., right? It's like your body is cursing you. And so grandma doesn't go to the kegger. Your mom doesn't go to the kegger, right? You at 40 don't go to the kegger, not because you don't like to have fun, but because you realize that it's not worth it to have fun for like three hours and then have heartburn for three days, right? That's part of it. That's a real part of it. Another real part of it is that you've done that enough times that when you get home and you're laying in bed and the room is spinning, you're feeling guilty and you're thinking, i got to make a change in my life. This is ridiculous, right? You wake up the next morning. You went out last night. You made some bad decisions, and you're trying to pray, and you're thinking, I can't talk to God right now because he's probably mad at me, right? And you're like, you're not mad at me, God. You forgive all things, right? You're thinking, I don't want to have these conversations anymore. I hate feeling miserable the next day. I hate feeling sick for three days. I hate laying in my bed feeling guilty. I hate walking away from a night with my friends thinking, we didn't talk about anything, I just want a night where I can just spend time with people and feel good the next day and feel like my relationship's better and I didn't get into a fight and I could eat breakfast in the morning and I could get to work without sunglasses. <laughs> but you're not choosing the dinner party because it brings less pleasure. You're choosing the dinner party because it brings you more. Because as you get older, you think, you know what, I... I just want a quiet night with some friends where I can get to know them and hear their heart and hear what God's doing in our community because that's beautiful and life-giving and it helps us develop friendships that last for the rest of our lives, right? Now take that illustration wherever you want to go with it. But the reason I give it is to say that grandma chooses not boring over fun. Grandma chooses something that's fun and lasting to something that's fun for a second and then brings death. And that's how Solomon lands in these parties, right? There's something about a stolen water party that sounds really fun. (laughs) But at the end of the folly party, it says, let's come out to the house, it's going to be a party. And in verse 18 of chapter 9, he says, but little do the guests know that the dead are there, that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. In the party for wisdom, he says, in verse 6, leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the ways of insight. 
Solomon, if you read through Ecclesiastes, Solomon is not anti-pleasure. He's not anti-fun. If you read through the Proverbs, he's not. If you're listening to the, or reading the devotions every day, the 13th came out. Solomon's not anti-wealth. He says, get rich slowly, wisely. Don't get caught up in those get-rich-quick schemes. Enjoy a bottle of wine with some friends, Solomon says. That's the gift of God, right? Don't enjoy six of them. That's folly, and it's going to lead to darkness. Solomon is not against pleasure, sexual pleasure. He says, enjoy it with the wife of your youth. Let her satisfy you always. Stay away from the seductive woman who's not your wife. Find pleasure in the right place, the way that leads to life, not in the way that leads to death. Now, if we are going to be men and women who make wise decisions, we need to understand the voice, the seductive voice of folly, and reject it. And listen to the clear call of wisdom that brings life. And abide by it. Listen to God as he speaks and says, trust me, you don't want to go on that business trip. Trust me, you don't want to drive to Roseville tonight. Listen to your friend, he's right. Trust me, you don't want to go to that party Friday night. You always feel terrible afterwards. Go to a place that gives life to you. God's not anti-pleasure. He's saying, you're anti-pleasure. You choose these brief moments that end up killing you. I want to give you something that's good and lasting and enduring and abiding. So listen to the voice of wisdom that calls out and live. 